You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 119. Today's show is part two of the interview with Steve Altonell, Artistic Director of the Long Island Musical Theater Festival. Today we discuss rooting for the underdog, the Real Housewives of New Jersey, payment schedules for public school salaries, raising money for producing a musical festival, and getting Stephen Schwartz, Alice Ripley, and Rima Webb to teach masterclasses and perform for the Limtiff Festival. There are no outtakes from today's episode. However, there is an early release of next week's episode with multidisciplinary designer Amy D. Lux. We have a great conversation about finance for freelancers and finding financial stability. Now, patrons already have access to that episode on their private podcast feed. If you're one of those 28 Patreon producers, thank you very much. And if you want to become a producer and access that early release and all the previous bonus content, please join up at patreon.com slash artistic finance. And now, without further ado, let's get to the show. You're listening to Artistic Finance Podcast, where your host, Ethan Steimel, interviews successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire artists to grow their wealth. Can we, one more question about this festival, which is the fundraising. So this is a completely separate organization from your high school. It's not sponsored through the high school. It's sponsored through you and your organization. How does it work financially? Um, because I, I know the students pay a fee to attend this or be in the production, but I know that that's not enough money to pay for the production because you have you you hire. Oh, I gotta say this: something that sets your festival apart from any other um, high school that sort of does this extra productions is that you have a full orchestra, and I cannot let that go because that is mind blowing to me because your orchestra is like the best one of like the shows I do. Anyway, it's really impressive. So you pay full orchestra, you pay a sound designer, you pay a lighting designer, you bring in a director, a choreographer. It's a lot of money. And so I'm just curious, how do you pay for it all? (laughs) Well, um, the orchestra is part of my mission because when I started, that was what I wanted. I wanted to do the Secret Garden with the full orchestra. I think it was 15 pieces at the time. Again, it's like even when I was doing shows at the Argyle or even the Angaman, I remember vividly my musicians came in. They were doing South Pacific at um, another equity theater and they were playing our show and they love playing my show because they a get to like hang with their buddies and they're 15 people playing instead of playing South Pacific with six or seven pieces, which is orchestrated for 20. And, and the orchestration for secret guard was 15 so it's not you know the 30 some odd piece even when we did sweeney we did i think the chamber version but it was orchestrated and we had the full orchestration based on what was scored for that specific production so in regards to funding it it's actually recreational arts the parent uh, organization, which is a Nathan Brewer's organization. He's the president and artistic director of that, who really kind of channel all the finances through them. But they have programs, I believe, in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and we're the New York division of it. So I'm responsible for all the things for that. So I do do my own fundraising, 
but it's run out of that organization. So it allowed us the platform to do it. So in regards to raising money, really it is funded based on student registration fee and ticket sales. As it has grown, you know, now we do a middle school production as well. And this was the first year we did a junior production. You know, it started with doing a medley for a week and then two weeks. And now we do. So it has grown. And as we grow and have more funds, we could add more programs. We have done a couple of fundraisers, Valentine's Day, and it was $100 a plate. People came in for dinner and we had a few kids sing a song. You know, we did a Christmas cabaret for a few years and it, it didn't bring in a lot of money, but it kept momentum. Financially, it, it is very difficult, but, you know, it's like we're pinching budget. I'm trying to, even with you, it's like, if it's like, how much do we have? If I give you a certain number, be like, can we go $50 over? Because you understand that. But there are certain things that are worth the money. And I will say that for the first, I think it was three or four years, I did not pay myself. Ah. So I would create a line in the budget for myself as artistic director, a line as music director. And then anytime we were in the red, which we were, I just didn't pay myself. And so I'm happy to say we're not in that place. But, you know, the pandemic was tricky because we did we had some leftover funds from the year we did Sweeney Todd, which was successful, but then didn't have anything coming in. And we still did a version in 2020 online. And then we did an in-person just review with Andrew Lippa last year, but it was a one-week program, which again, didn't bring in the same amount of money. So now we are adding to this budget, doing a larger production, adding a middle school junior production, and also, you know, the use of space. I don't, I think, you know, people don't understand that with theater, it's like, I don't, I don't even fully understand what the Broadway community, like just the rentals of the theaters before you even go into production costs or like paying for the creative team and designers and all that stuff. It, that is a huge chunk of the budget. I'm a part of a lot of like small scale shows here and like the cheapest theater you can find to rent here in New York City is like 7,000 a week. And, and, and that's like the cheapest, like little hole in the wall, little tiny space. And it just has to be that way because of how real estate is and how stuff is. And we had an episode with Melissa Riker, who does site-specific dance. And I was saying, like, how do you afford to pay all these dancers and do all this when you don't have ticket sales as part of your budget? And I said, what about renting the space? And she said, well, we do everything outdoors. So it's a $25 park fee. But she's like, if we had to go inside, we just couldn't do it. Because just the rent for even a basic place is so much. And it's hard, you know, justifying the registration fee, even though the registration fee we charge doesn't even cover the costs. But comparatively, I don't know how much people know about Long Island Theater. It is saturated. There is a theater company or a community program in almost every town. And so, and I hear of a new one every, literally every week I hear, oh, there's another one. I'm not saying that they're all wonderful or not. They're just a lot to choose from. And um, it is much easier to go to something that is down the road than driving 30 minutes and paying, you know, three times the amount. And so it really depends on what you want to pay for. I will say, you know, like what we do, I think is quite unique, especially because of the professional orchestra factor, because there is nothing that compares to that when you are a kid 
singing, even if it's one line of a song, that is an opportunity to this day that I still have never had, you know, singing like a solo line by myself where like I was like in charge. And and I really do encourage my cast members who have solos in those moments to take the lead and initiative be like, I will follow you as long as I know where you're going with this, you know? Um, and to really lead a ballad like that, it's kind of cool. Well, it's super cool because I see you interacting with the students and practicing and you do the same thing Nathan Brewer does is you bring the rehearsal to us. Halt. You stop the orchestra and you say, look, we're following you with tempo or you're going too fast. Or you're, and you you say, all right, you, the student, you have to be consistent with like, because we have this orchestra and we're here to support you and be part of it. But you have to work with us and to see to like, I, I'm not a performer, but I can imagine if I were on stage as a performer and you, the musical director, are saying, look, we're here for you and with you work with us. We're all part of a team. I think that's an experience that is so amazing for those students. And another thing I love to do for the festival is I love like watching opening or watching one of the rehearsals and closing my eyes because that orchestra is so amazing. Like I love just sitting there and like listening to the overture or listening to this. So I feel like in all your advertisement, you need to say (laughs) with full orchestra at the bottom. Back to that woman who heard the can orchestra. A lot of people don't know the difference unless they experience it. Seeing is believing. Once kids actually see what we do in person, then they really get it. Like I'm thinking for people like my parents, if I said, okay, I want to do this program and it's $2,000, but there's one down the road and I could do it at the local church and it's like $250 and I don't need to drive you. How do you explain that to a parent? Like it really caters itself to the kids who are really serious about it. And I think that also you're not going to pay that kind of money if you don't want to invest in it. You know, I look at it as investing in education, but you know, you look at these dance companies. I don't know if you've seen what competition dance is like, but these parents pay a ton of money and they're standing online waiting to buy $40 tickets plus a headshot plus a costume and then sit through a four hour show. And yet they don't have a problem (laughs) selling that, you know, so it is very difficult. And that is a part of it that, um, you know, marketing and how to, how to recruit it's, it's a very big part and it's one of the hardest things to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, I will say that for people that go into the arts, it really has to come from inside. Like the person has to know that like, I want to do this, I'm going to go do this. And like you said, I think the people that do will find a way to get to your program versus another program. And Big picture, you guys do have students that go on and become professional actors. I don't I don't know what the statistics are. Like, I've never really done it. But, you know, I'm very proud of uh, we had a Jimmy Award winner in 2019. Her name is Ekaleo Kekbu. And she started with us when she was like in ninth grade and, um, you know, went through the program and then auditioned. Now she's studying at NYU and I'm sure she's going to do amazing things. And we have a local regional award called the Roger Reese Award. And I think like one year, like two thirds of our cast were nominees. Nice. Okay. My last question about Long Island Musical Theater Festival, which is you've mentioned Andrew Lippa coming and working with the students. And you also had Steven Schwartz this year. How, how do you get those people to come? <laughs> yeah. I, we had him set up for 2020, actually. 
And I wasn't sure it was going to happen, but then it was going to happen. And then, you know, we weren't sure about numbers and if we were even going to be able to run. But I was like, you know what? We have Steven Schwartz. I can't, I can't let this fail. I'm going to find a way to make this happen. And uh, the truth is, over the years, I I definitely drop names and I'm not ashamed of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about who you know. It so really I'd be like, is. hey, Ethan Steinmel, <laughs> by the way, I need a director. Just so you know, we will have Steven Schwartz here. I'm telling you, like, there's so <laughs> many people who will wake up and pay attention when, you, when you're working with this caliber of person. But really, it, it came down the line from, you know, from first a director, then it was like Greg Barnes and Beth Level, then Liz Calloway, and then like Heidi Blickenstaff. And then as I accumulated this roster of Broadway talent, then it's like, okay, the, you know, and even when I was talking to Heidi once, she was like, you know, I'd be like, hey, Liz, you did this thing. What was that like? You know, because, you know, a lot of them can just be like, is this worth my time? You know, it's either that or it's money. But the truth is nobody's doing this for the money, yeah. you know, unless we're paying the artist 10. I, and I will tell you, Ethan, I have reached out through one agent specifically i've asked for so many different artists and they'll be like oh thank you so much for thinking of her but she's not available and i'd be like okay what's it gonna take because this is now the fifth time i've asked and truthfully they're like these artists are not going to look at it for less than 10 grand to do something like this and that's not out of the question if you have that kind of household name and i remember i did a music directing intensive at good speed opera house for i did it 2 years and i worked with michael o'flaherty i don't know if you know much about their work but that program changed my life and if there are music directors listening to this if you have an opportunity to work at good speed doing the music directing intensive do it cuz it's incredible and i remember asking michael o'flaherty about this and he said and it's funny cuz the name he used was steven schwartz he's like let's say you had steven schwartz if you had something he's not going to do this for the money he's going to do this because he's going to you know love the idea of what you're doing and pass on his knowledge to like the future generation and it's not much in regards to funds compared to what these people could be making and I think having the the roster of people that we've accumulated over time has been helpful. And I always use that moving forward. So when I wrote to his assistant, and I know that he's good friends with Liz Calloway, you know, I dropped that name, you know, and that's also part of it, knowing what the connections are, who works with who, who hangs out with who, you know, and I think making those connections in your ask are helpful. And I will also say you are very good with schedule. And so I think that's also probably a really good thing. I imagine that you reach out and you say it's going to be X amount of time or it's going to be X, that, that, that. And you're very clear with like, I've condensed the schedule. Exactly. So I'll be like, it's going to be this time you get dinner and then the show's at this time and it's going to be one hour. And I also include there that they'll have their own, not only dressing room, but their own bathroom. Because even for someone at my level, it's like, if I'm going to go somewhere, if I know that I have my own room and bathroom and don't have to worry about that kind of thing. Because when I was doing it at the high school, it's like, you know, I had like Rima Webb sharing a bathroom with like the high school girls. I was like, I can't do that. I can't do that to Broadway talent. I'm fortunate enough that Adelphi University has such a gorgeous facility and they have a dressing room right out there. And, and, and I think that is, you know, comfort is helpful. In, in your ask as well.
interrupting the interview to mention our live episode at the LDI conference in Las Vegas on November 18th. We are partnering with Ayrton Lighting to host a panel of lighting designers discussing the finances of freelance careers. The panel is made up of architainment and controls designer Amy D. Lux, Broadway designer Jen Schriever, and lighting guru Marsha Stern. Now, I would love to see you there on November 18th at 11.30 a.m., and even if you don't work in the entertainment industry, you are invited to this recording. You do need a pass to the conference, but it just so happens that I have a way to get you in for free. Visit ldishow.com, click on registration, and use code PODCAST22 for a free exhibit hall pass. Now that's going to get you into the show floor and some of the free sessions, one of which is our live recording. This year, Ayrton is sponsoring Women in Lighting, which is a network and community of women and allies across all areas of the lighting industry. There are representatives from almost every country in the world that are forming meetups throughout the year. At LDI, the Women in Lighting session is going to be in the afternoon following our recording, so that's going to be at 3.30 p.m., and I will be in attendance. Now, afterwards, there's a happy hour sponsored by Ayrton, so we'll have time to hang out and say hello. We've coordinated all of this with Jean from Ayrton and Ayrton's Women in Lighting representative, Linnea, who sent us this audio. Ayrton design and manufacture innovative LED and laser source moving lights for indoor and outdoor applications in concert touring, theater, studio, installation, and architecture. Ayrton is a proud sponsor of the international support and networking project Women in Lighting. Ayrton's primary aim is to raise awareness of and expand the network across the entertainment lighting industry. Go to womeninlighting.com and sign up for the entertainment newsletter to learn more. Male supporters are welcome. Ayrton is exclusively distributed by Act Entertainment in North America. And now, back to the show. I wonder if we can talk just a little bit of a side story about a financial thing, and that is that you bought your apartment. <laughs> and I know you have a full-time job, and you do I mean, these... I wallpaper, is it? <laughs> Gorgeous. I, let's talk about this wallpaper for one second. So you got this apartment, and you said, Ethan, can you come help me install? I got these Turkish lights, you know. Can you come help me pick out where to put them and put them up and all that? So I did, and you're raving about your wallpaper. You're like, oh, I'm getting this wallpaper. The wallpaper's coming. And we're like, nobody we know uses wallpaper. And then I remember my friend Sky, who helped me like put things yeah. together and helped me design things. And then I was like, okay, because it was like literally in the pandemic and like all these Zoom things. I'd be like, where am I going to? He's like, you're going to sit in front of this wallpaper because anytime <laughs> you're on a Zoom meeting. So as soon as you asked me, I was like, I got to set it up so that you can see the wallpaper. Yeah. <laughs> so good. But well, also what I love about this wallpaper is so I've, I've seen it in your apartment since 2020. But Nicole and I were watching this Netflix show called How to Build a Sex Room. And before everyone thinks like this is some crazy BDSM thing, it's it's the no, it's, it's the a, it's the like Disney like version HGTV of that. HGTV show about building a room. Yeah, it's pretty much um, what it but is. But one thing is, there's one of these dungeons, let's say that was built, <laughs> and yeah. the wallpaper is your wallpaper. We saw that. We were like, oh my god, that's Steve's wallpaper. <laughs> you so, sent me this episode. That I so, did not hear. 
it's like sexy wallpaper. So anybody, if anybody's listening to this and they want to see it, go to YouTube, the sexy YouTube version, right there. to see the sexy wallpaper because it's taking over the sex world. Um, so, but I just want to talk about like how did you get an apartment? Because like you said, you're single financially. You take care of yourself. Um, you do these side freelance jobs, but clearly they're not like giant paying jobs that you're taking. You're not necessarily taking them for the money. And I'm just wondering your choice and your decision to like purchase an apartment and how that all works. And for anyone who doesn't know or is not familiar with New York real estate, getting an apartment is no small task. I mean, it's everything, including your blood type, basically, to get an apartment. It's a very rigorous process. Yeah, I don't look forward to the day I have to do it again. Um, (laughs) Hopefully I won't. Um, But, you know, I will say if it weren't for the pandemic, it probably wouldn't have happened, which is a weird thing to say. But I had been renting for 10 years um, and everyone would say, you know, the money. You ch- and then like when I add up how much is spent in rent. But the problem is not paying the monthly fee. It's a down payment, you know. So um, I was fortunate that my rent did not go up much. I think maybe one hundred and seventy five dollars within 10 years of being there. And so I had known that I always wanted to buy an apartment, but I didn't know if I'd ever be able to, but I had been saving towards it. So I will say taking those few college gigs and then doing the Argyle thing for a few years before the pandemic really elevated my savings at that point. And it is a comfort being a you know public school teacher and having that steady income. So I don't have to worry about it. So that's like my day-to-day. But for savings, it's all the gigs. It's the voice lessons. It's the auditions and all that kind of thing. During the pandemic, I really got to sit with my myself, my thoughts. And I really, like, I was watching Marie Kondo all the time, trying to tidy him up. Along with Tiger King. Mm -hmm. Yes, even though I was just like, I don't understand this, but okay, fine. Uh, So I really just went into, you know, and everyone's like, what are you doing? I was like, I'm busy. Like, I literally was cleaning out closets, things that I've been, like, boxes that have been sitting there for 10 years. And then once I went through everything and then was there for a few months, I was like, okay, everyone's moving out of New York. People are like, no, this is a good time to look. So I started looking and the interest rate was so low that it was, people are like, this is not ever going to happen again. So I started looking and again, Maria McComsky, who was my fifth grade chorus teacher who gave me my first opportunity to play is the driving force. And I had actually put down an offer on a different apartment that was more expensive, required probably a $60,000 renovation. And the day after I put down that um, offer and looked at the apartment, she found the apartment that I'm currently in. And she's the one who called me and said, Stephen, you need to call your real estate agent and make an offer right now. And you got to get in there tomorrow. And I did do that. And luckily for me, it was a sponsor unit. So what you were just mentioning with all those things that you, I didn't have to go through an interview process. So that was like the best part of it. So then I was like, yes, this is definitely it. And it was fully renovated and it was cheaper and it had a lower maintenance. So I really feel like I just hit the jackpot in that sense. But, you know, I worked, I worked really hard for like 15 years, uh, you know, doing like 14 to 16 hour days. I mean, I did a 
two high school musicals a year for 10 years while teaching privately and getting my graduate degree, my master's in music education to keep my certification and teaching high school, like a full program. So I worked really hard. And then I, you know, I saved, but I didn't deprive myself of things I wanted to do. So once I hit 30, I was tired of waiting for, you know, a significant other or my friends to be able to go on vacation. So I just started taking vacations by myself. I was like, you know, I have a friend working in Madrid. I'm going to go to Madrid and visit him, go see him perform and spend a week there. You know, and so I did spend money, so I probably could have gotten here sooner, but, you know, I'm enjoying my time as I go. So, yeah, I worked hard, but now I'm, you know, have to rebuild those funds because it's depleted. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I'm just curious, like maintenance, how much is your maintenance? Because you said it was lower. Yeah, my maintenance is, and that was the other thing that everyone told me, because the maintenance will always get higher. My maintenance was Mm -hmm. about 600 Oh, wow. Yeah, that's it. That's low. And then I have, but I also have a studio, but it's a junior one bedroom. It's converted. So the maintenance is lower on that and it's a lower floor, but I also pay for parking, which is 200. So it, it comes out to 800 a month just for that. Got it. Yeah. And then the mortgage is separate and all that. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, just very cool. I'm very excited yeah. about Congratulations. The, yeah. Congrats. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Anytime. And the last thing I want to mention or bring up is that you're a TV star, too. (laughs) Which I didn't know. I didn't know at the time, but I watched it on YouTube. (laughs) That was also Nathan Brewer, I think. What did you watch on YouTube? I watched you on The Real Housewives. On YouTube? Or on somewhere. I didn't watch it on TV. Somebody posted a clip somewhere, like a throwback, like... I don't even yeah. know about this. He's a no, star. It's funny. No, I don't. Okay. No, I don't know anything about it. Nicole has gotten into all the Housewives shows, so she watched. I watched it before I even knew there was any. Yeah, before she even knew that. In fact, in fact, when she found out that your sister was a housewife, she was like, "Ethan, why did you not tell me this?" And I was like, "I didn't think it was relevant. I didn't think it mattered." Cool fact. She was very upset. You know, in, in regards to my career, it really is. But we we did do a fundraiser that got to be aired on the show. And again, I'm grateful for that opportunity. And we had Caroline Bowman sing the lead in a song written by Adam Guan. And so for me to like bridge, did you know this? I I actually did not know this. You should have done your research, Ethan. (laughs) So... um, it, it was a song called Give It a Voice, and we did it at a fundraiser at Tao in New York City. So for those of you who don't know, it's a very fancy restaurant. And I had my students perform, and it was tricky because Bravo wouldn't allow us to perform something because of, like, you know, all the, the you know, licensing rights or whatever. And so Nathan was the one who worked on... Um, a show at Lincoln Center where this song was written for Audra McDonald said that would be the perfect song and connected me with Adam. And then I asked him for permission to use it. And he did give us permission. So we had Caroline Bowman come in to sing the lead and my kids sang and I played. And so because it was an original song and we had the permission from the composer, they were able to use a piece of that in the show. 
And there have been a few families who have reached out to me and be like, how did you hear about us? They're like, we were watching this TV show. And we saw, I'm like, oh, awesome. You know, so it gets you some recognition that, and then when the pandemic hit, I, again, I don't know why or how I just needed a project. And I was like, we were planning a fundraiser, but then couldn't do it. Again, I'm just like having flash, you know, like when you do things and you're like, how the heck did I do that? Um, I created a virtual course because that was like kind of the thing that everyone was doing with Give It A Voice. So I reached out to Caroline, but this time I had my musicians take part as well. So when we did it as the fundraiser, it was just me at the piano, but my musicians volunteered their time. So we, I created... Uh, actually, Craig helped me do this, create a guiding track for everybody that was going to be what everyone recorded to with different like tempo changes and all of that. I, I created a chart for Caroline with her notes, then a chart for the students with their notes. And then I also wanted to include the staff. So in it is me, Vanessa DeConti, who's my general manager, Nathan, Meg, and even some of our, our college friends who have helped us out through the years. So in this video, you see like everything layered together. Um, and I had my videographer put it together. And I'm telling you, that process was like putting together a musical production. It took me two months to do it between April. Uh, I think we started April and then May, I think maybe the first week of June is when we premiered it. And it's like a six minute virtual uh, course. And then I reached out to Adam and asked him to create a um, video introducing the piece. So you could go to YouTube right now and type it, give it a voice, Long Island Musical Theater Festival, or as you say, Limtif. Thanks to you. We call it Limtif. All the kids call it Limtif. L-I-M-T-F stands for Long Island Musical Theater Festival. Yes, it's a long name. <laughs> but that's what it is. And, uh, you know, it's funny because Nathan mentioned to me just a couple of weeks ago. He's like, when's the last time you watched that? I was like, it's been a while. He's like, it's very emotional and it's very good. I was like, and, you know, that's high praise coming from him. Yes. And so watching that, I, I, I do get emotional because it's kind of like a recap of this moment in time of these kids who grew up through the program. And now it's kind of like, you know, a, a, you know, there's like a new generation now after that. So yeah. And, and it was the show that gave me the opportunity to even have the song to even use it in that moment. And I just took it and put it in a different arrangement. That's amazing. I'm so happy because also when I think Real Housewives, I don't think musical theater. You think of flipping tables, you know? Nobody does. <laughs> Nobody does. So I was so grateful to my sister to have had the opportunity to showcase you know, not just being on the show because I'm her brother, but to highlight what I do professionally. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I love it. Great awareness. <laughs> All right. Taking a break from the episode to mention our Patreon page. Now, the perks of being a patron are that you get a private podcast feed, which includes the early release of next week's episode with multidisciplinary designer Amy D. Lux. Now, we have a great conversation about finance for freelancers and finding financial stability. In addition to early access to next week's episode, you, the patrons, are supporting our mission to improve the finances of freelancers. 
We provide an answer to any financial question without anyone fearing shame, stigma, or guilt, and we're getting artists to invest for themselves and their future. We do that by providing this show for free, and that is thanks to you, the patrons, who are helping cover some of our running costs. If you're listening and you'd like to jump in and help us continue this work, please sign up at patreon.com slash artisticfinance. Also, I want to take a minute to mention ACT Entertainment. ACT is the sole rep for Ayrton in North America, and they're going to be showcasing the Ayrton gear at LDI and are coordinating the Women in Lighting session. We're working with Ryan from ACT Entertainment, who sent us this message. ACT Entertainment is proud to support Ayrton's goal to raise awareness of the Women in Lighting organization and expand their global network across the entertainment lighting industry. Please visit us at our LDI booth number 1223 to pick up a free drink ticket for the Women in Lighting reception we are hosting at the LDI Circle Bar from 5 to 6 p.m. immediately after the Women in Lighting panel. See you there! We could not have asked for better partners for LDI, so I can't wait to see Ayrton, Act Entertainment, Women in Lighting, and you at LDI November 18th, 1130 a.m. And now, back to the show. Do you have any like financial advice or maybe just advice to somebody that wants to go into musical theater? You know, maybe they're not supportive, your, their family's not supportive, and or maybe uh, they're worried about their finances. Um, because I feel like you've done it with a very stable financial life in a way, like you, you found a way for that to happen. I don't know that that would happen if I wasn't a public school teacher. You know, I, I really think uh, it is the, you know, I, I love it. And there are things that I feel like I want to do that. I don't have the opportunity to do because I have this other thing, but that's with any gig, you know? And so I also worked really hard throughout the years to build my skills simultaneously. And I think, and I say this, although my students don't realize it, my administrators don't realize it, but everything that I do outside of the teaching job makes me better at the teaching job. Mm -hmm. I'm a much more effective teacher and musician, and I know how to get to them quicker because of all the other experiences. So it's the real world experience. Yeah. And also just like watching other people work and, you know, not, and saying that, and this is why I think I do so well with my musicians because I'm the first to be like, I screwed that up. Or I'll be like, is that clear? Or what can I do to make this clearer to you? And my musicians, I remember in Sweeney Todd, there was a moment they're like, you're adding a beat there. And they literally play what they see. So if I'm screwing something up, they're not going to, they're going to follow me, even if I'm wrong. But like, they're also not, they're awesome. They're, they're the kinds of people who will be like, uh, in that measure, you're adding this. And I will always be upfront about my own mistakes. And so I think being willing to learn from other people and not be cocky about it is, you know, sometimes harder than others, depending on who you're working with and the personalities, but you got to take different kinds of jobs. I also worked with you know, summer theater camps with elementary kids, like literally doing choreography in the back with, you know, it's too darn hot and things like that. So like having all of those experiences. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Was that the adventures of Tom Sawyer that you just did? No, I know you want to do, you want to do Big River. I want to do Big River. No, but I'm talking about Tom Sawyer, not Huckleberry Finn. Oh, it's too darn hot. No, that's, um, that's Kiss Me Kate. 
Oh, Kiss Me Kate. All right. <laughs> but it was one of the things we did with the, it was one of the songs we did with the kids. So, I mean, I'm fortunate that I had the teaching thing and I equally loved going into education and theater simultaneously. Like there was never a point where I didn't want to go into education, but as a teacher, you start out a certain salary because there are salary rates based on the districts. And so every year there you're there, you climb up a step. I don't know if you know about this. There's like a salary schedule. So then after five years there, I had an opportunity to take the job that I have now, but I was a tenured teacher. And if you don't know what a tenured teacher is, basically means that you are secure. You have job security. You can't be fired unless you do something, you know, illegal or whatever. And so at that point, everyone thought I was crazy for leaving a tenured job because you never know if you're going to be cut or if you're, you'll be granted tenure again. But I was in a position where like that taking that job was a hit for me financially. So it was in Suffolk County, which generally is less in taxes. So the teachers make a little less. And so when I moved, it was like, you, you also got to think you're giving up job security. And you don't know if you're guaranteed that. But I was in a position at that point where it only took me two years to get granted tenure again. Today, I think they need to work four years, even if they were tenured in a different district. So that was a risk. But also for me, I have never been worried about keeping a job because I was and have always been confident in my skills and mostly because I'm a pianist, because there are a lot of high school choir directors who aren't necessarily pianists. So that was always helpful for me. So I did take a financial hit there, but then every year you climb up a step and we had a pay freeze for a while. So teachers weren't making those steps for a while. Then it started coming back. Now, if you get a master's degree as a public school teacher in New York state, if there are certain districts have payment increments. So if you get a master's degree plus 15 credits, then you go over a column and then you make a certain amount more. Then when you get to 30 credits, you make more, 45 and 60. So my district now, it's like 30 and 60. But when I started, there were 15 credit increments. So I have just completed 60 graduate credits on top of my master's. So now I've maxed out my salary. Most teachers do this immediately when they start teaching. So they could max out that salary because that's longevity of your career and your finances because it accumulates. And people are like, what are you waiting for? I was like, I've been music directing at all these schools and I've been teaching and building an organization. So it has taken me 20 years to get those 60 credits, but I finally got there. And so as a teacher, there are ways to make more money in that. So that has been my um, safety net. But that's not something that anyone can do. You know, if you're saying as a music director, what is your advice? You know, I can't just tell them to go into like public school education. However, you know, I, I don't know what it's like to be a full-time music director without being a teacher. What you're saying is valuable because we're seeing how much you have to work in order to do these professional gigs and outside gigs, like anybody listening to this is just going to be like, whoa, Steve is working a lot. And has sacrificed a lot. Yeah, but at the same time, it's all I knew. I've been doing this since I was in high school. You know, I was music directing shows, you know, while I was in them. When I took my first 
high school job, I was a, technically a leave replacement. So the kids didn't like me. They knew their teacher was coming back. And I had 220 students ranging from seventh through 12th grade. It was, and I didn't have a classroom. I taught in the auditorium. It was difficult to say the least. However, I knew that the only way I was going to be successful is if I treated it like my own job, like it was mine. And the truth is she took a second year leave and ended up resigning because she had another baby. So then it did become my job. And I'm grateful that I treated it that way. But it wasn't fulfilling me as a musician because I had done a few tours and a few pro gigs. And after that point, I remember I had a select vocal ensemble that met in the evenings and people are like, you need to treat that like that's your flagship group. And I really experimented with them and I worked them really hard. And Michael O'Flaherty said this to us too. You have to be proud of everything on your resume, regardless of what level. It doesn't matter if it's a middle school production, high school, community theater, whatever it is, be proud of the work that you're doing because it adds up to wherever it leads you next. I love that. Good advice. All right. So before we wrap up, is there anything that you want to talk about or mention that we didn't cover? Oh, well, I would I would love you to uh, visit our website, the LIMTF.org. We have a, maybe if you want to post that promotional video, we have a one minute commercial. Um, if you have any theater kids on Long Island or in the tri-state area who might want to audition for us, just send them over to our website. Follow us on Instagram at the LIMTF. Okay. All right. Well, I think you just answered the question I was going to ask, which is where can people find out more about you? <laughs> um, well, I also have a website. Um, I do need to update it. It's stephenaltinell.com. That's Stephen with a V, A-L-T-I-N-E-L. Um, and you can follow me on Instagram if you're interested in my personal life. <laughs> with that wallpaper, how could you not be? <laughs> yeah. Amazing. All right. Well, um, Steve, thank you so much for taking like two hours today on this Saturday. Yeah, we could talk forever, Ethan and Nicole. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. Nicole's been trying to get you on the show now for two and a half years. Yeah, I I really have her to thank. She's the one who called for the ask. So thank you, Nicole. I feel I feel honored that you I, oh, no, I really we're do. Honored. <laughs> um, okay, all right. I'm, I'll let you go now. But one thing I wanted to mention, which is just that I have a lot of respect for you, and I think your school and everybody you, you work with should be so proud to work with you because you are a professional of the utmost. You act like a college professor. You do more outside work than a lot of college professors do and in college they're always encouraging the professors to go out and like work professionally and that's one of the appeals for a lot of college programs is how much the uh, department heads and teachers work outside Mm -hmm. of academia to connect people to those professional jobs and i just got to say everybody working with you they don't even realize it but you are basically like a college educator through your own public school high school teaching so so anyway i just have a lot of respect for you thank you for saying that That's it for this week's episode. Now, my takeaways are that the payment schedule for public school salaries is quite convenient. That allows teachers to maximize their salary by using it as a roadmap. Now, raising money for producing a musical festival seems stressful, but Steve is able to do it and he does it to get a full professional orchestra. Now, that's rare for a lot of professional theaters who don't have full orchestras, so props to Steve for doing it. 
Also, Steve took freelance gigs for 15 years to save for purchasing an apartment. It fills my cup to hear such things like that. So congrats, Steve. And finally, getting people like Steven Schwartz, Alice Ripley, and Rima Webb to teach or perform, it's possible. Be clear, concise, and provide a private space and a bathroom. And something Steve glossed over, be persistent. Ask once, ask twice, and keep asking. So what do you think? Did you enjoy this two-part interview? Let me know by emailing me at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. I know you know that I love getting emails, so I make sure to read every single one and get back to you. But if emailing isn't your thing and you still want to support the show, please become a patron. You'll get early access to episodes, including next week's with multidisciplinary designer Amy D. Lux. Amy has a lot of good advice and a lot of good philosophies and is another great example of someone who should be hosting this show instead of me. (laughs) It's a great conversation, so be sure to uh, subscribe to the podcast on any podcast app or on YouTube so that you'll get a notification when we release it next week. Now, thank you to you, the patrons. You're supporting our mission to normalize financial conversations amongst freelancers and creative professionals. Now, we're doing that by providing a space for any freelancer to ask any financial question in a safe space. We're all in this together, so listen here and learn along with us. If you want to help support this mission, please join up at patreon.com slash artistic finance, and thank you in advance. As always, if you aren't ready to become a patron, that's totally cool. The two free ways to access those early releases is one, email me at artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com and ask for them. I put things on Patreon as an incentive and a thank you for patrons, but I'm not trying to hide any information. So if anyone ever emails me, I'm happy to provide the information. The other free way to access early releases or outtakes is by signing up for our newsletter, and you can do that at artisticfinance.com or email artisticfinancepodcast at gmail.com. The newsletter comes out once a month, and it's a recap of all of our episodes. Now that's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance. Make sure to subscribe. To access our show notes, transcripts, or resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.